It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, it's already a quarterback bonanza in the transfer portal. Are guys like DJ Uyunglele and Dante Moore making the right decisions here? You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights and soon to be mostly team-free, but until then, beloved and loaded conference of champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. So, Pac-12 championship, we'll get to that in just a moment, but the quarterbacks are all going in the portal so quickly. I thought December 4th was the date, but apparently pre-December 4th is the date. So uh, the portal is, you know, officially going to, I think, open and have players be able to go in it and actually, you know, submit the paperwork and everything on, uh, on the 4th. That'll be on Monday. But right now there have been a lot of intentions from quarterbacks who played in the Pac-12 this year that are deciding, yeah, I'm going to go play my college football career elsewhere. So two guys in particular stand out. And there are a couple names I'll I'll talk about as well. But off the top, DJ Uyunglele and Dante Moore. These are guys that are both former five-star recruits who, in the early portion of their careers, have not looked like they're living up to their full potential. DJ is, of course, much further along. He'll be a grad transfer and we'll have one year of eligibility left. He's apparently considering the NFL draft. I, I don't I don't think that's the best option for him. I think he should try and find another spot. But I think one of these guys is making a logical move. And, and I think another guy perhaps is not. And the guy who I think is making the most logical move is DJ. So DJ, at this point in his career, is an established commodity. Everybody understands as a football player what he brings to the table. He's also got an impeccable reputation personally, and I think that helps when you're you know, thinking about bringing in a quarterback. Is he a good locker room guy? Every indication has been, at least that I've seen, that yes, he is. So I think that helps. But you know, as a football player, we know what he is at this point. He's not a guy you can run your offense through. He can make some special throws. He's not consistent. He's a little robotic. He's got some mobility. He's got a big arm. He can push the ball down the field. Sometimes he struggles with the easy stuff. That's just what he is. You know, I thought at Oregon State, he'd frankly have a better season than he did this year, but he was solid. He was better than Ben Goldbranson was last year. He brought a different dimension to that Oregon State offense. He just doesn't bring it consistently. Is he a power five or now power four capable starting quarterback? Yeah, he, he absolutely is. The reason I think he's making the, the right move here is because his offensive coordinator and offensive-minded head coach have gone on to Michigan State, which is definitely a potential landing spot for him, which I'll get to in just a moment. But the other thing, too, is I talked about this on yesterday's show. If you're Trent Bray in Oregon State, your number one priority has to be to win quickly. 
culture, stability, recruiting, fan buy-in, everything like that. You have to do everything you can to win in 2024. What's your best chance to do that? Have Aiden Childs be your quarterback. I, I don't think that DJ showed enough to where they should have pursued him. You know, if you're Trent Bray, I think letting DJ move on is the best thing to do. You got to create a spot for Aiden Childs to be the unquestioned starter. Don't bring in someone to compete with him. Don't make him win the job. No, you have to assure that guy who is mega talented that he can be your starting quarterback back in 2024. Only way to do that is allow DJ to go elsewhere. And I think that that is a good decision on DJ's part because I don't think the NFL draft is the place to go. If he wants to make it at all in any way, shape, or form in the NFL, he could find his way onto a roster. I don't know if he's a starting quarterback in the league, but he, he could maybe carve out a career as a backup. I could see it. He could turn himself into a guy who maybe gets a chance to start somewhere at one point in time, but he has to further develop his game. He has to be more comfortable in the pocket. He's got to be less robotic. He's got to be more consistent. Those are things he has to be able to do. He's got to go find a place now that can give him what Oregon State was giving him. And had Jonathan Smith stuck around, had the conference stayed together and that happened, then yeah, Oregon State would have been a place for him to remain. But given all the turnover there, yeah, I think it's good for him to go find a different spot. I, I think the one thing that DJ should be looking for as he tries to explore his options is a place that has a receiving core that features a true number one guy. Anthony Gould and Silas Bolden are really good receivers. Neither one is a big-bodied, outside, ex-receiver, number one sort of player who can help out a quarterback. And when you have an inconsistent, sometimes inaccurate quarterback like DJ, I think having a receiver like that would be helpful. It was one of my concerns for the Beavs coming into the season. I think that played itself out with their offense being good, but not always as great as they would have perhaps liked it to have been. So I think DJ is making the wrong or is, is making the right move. I don't know that Dante Moore is. Now, that is, of course, contingent upon where Dante Moore ends up, right? If Dante Moore ends up in a spot where he's got a great offensive coach who he's got rapport with and he's got weapons and a system that will allow him to succeed and grow and a veteran quarterback to learn from, yeah, he could he could end up in, in the right position here. Things did not go as planned for Dante Moore at UCLA. He wasn't the starter in game one. He won the starting job, I thought, rightly. He lost the starting job. I also thought that was the right move, as UCLA tried and failed to compete at a high level in 2023. I thought they'd have trouble doing that. Turns out I was right. So when you look at Dante Moore, I thought this was a little bit surprising. And look, this is, of course, contingent upon where he lands. Chip Kelly is not the innovative, ahead-of-his-time offensive mind that he was back at Oregon in the 2010s. He did, however, right before Dante Moore's arrival, take Dorian Thompson Robinson from a raw, turnover worthy or turnover prone quarterback into by the time he left. And if you, if you want, even if you don't want to take out his fifth year, which Dante Moore won't get by year four when he was starting, and really by year three, he was an, he was an above average college quarterback. And oh, by the way, Dorian Thompson Robinson, fifth round pick by the Cleveland Browns, has started games this year for them. He's still got that potential. And I just watched Chip Kelly do that, not back in 2010, not in 2012. No, I watched him do that in 2021, 2022. Is he took a guy who needed molding, right? He was essentially 
you know, a clay sculpture that hadn't, you know, formulated yet. It was just the clay. And the coach's job is to take that, that quarterback prospect and sculpt him into a beautiful statue. That's a wonderful piece of artwork. And Chip Kelly did that with Dorian Thompson Robinson. And Dante Moore decided, nope, that's not the best spot for him. We'll see where he lands. We'll, we'll, we'll see where he lands. But I think it's a risky proposition to go away from a guy that has a recent proven track record of developing a young quarterback into a much better version of himself over the course of his career. So, you know, if he ends up at like a, a Michigan, a Michigan State, he's a Detroit kid. He was once verbally committed to Oregon. I don't know if he would start there in 2024. I don't know if he wants to start. It seems like he's kind of, you know, willing to sit out and learn for a year. Would he go to Arizona State where Kenny Dillingham was? That was the guy who originally recruited him to Oregon. I, I mean, th there are a lot of different choices, and, and I don't know, you know, exactly where he's going to end up, but I think him going into the portal at this point in time looks to me like a, a riskier proposition than DJU going into the portal because DJ is an established commodity, right? Like his sculpture has already been made. It's not a masterpiece, but it is certainly good enough to put in, in your yard and have it complement, you know, the, the plants in the garden to make everything look really nice. You got to have a good garden planted around it, but still it can be a product that you're proud of and happy with there. So I, I think DJ can more easily find a home in which he can succeed. I don't think Dante Moore can, and that's now what, what he's going to be looking for there. But a couple more quarterbacks before we get to the Pac-12 championship game. The last one ever, of course. Won't be the last time that you go check out FanDuel, right? Well, maybe it's the first time. Maybe you haven't gotten there yet. That is perfect because as the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. Washington's a heavy underdog against Oregon. I have thoughts on that that are coming later in the show. I have many thoughts on that. But the app, that being FanDuel, is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So there's no better time to go get in on the action. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. Get your college football gambling fix as well. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Okay, so a couple more quarterbacks to watch from the Pac-12 who are on the move via the transfer portal, or at least it appears. I don't think Cam Ward's officially entered, but Cam Ward's going to be on the move. Got a question about, you know, Spence, where would you like to see Cam Ward go play? Look, as an Oregon fan, yeah, I, I think Cam Ward's got plenty of talent to play at a high level. I think Cam Ward, you know, unlike DJ or Dante Moore, is going to kind of have his choice. You know, DJ's floor is you know, as a quarterback is fairly high, like he's a power five starter, but his ceiling is kind of low. Dante Moore perhaps has a higher ceiling, but a much, much lower floor. That's going to lead to mixed offers. I think we know what Cam Ward is. And, and he's someone who, you know, reminds me of Michael Penix and Bo Nix. If you give that guy more support than what he had at Washington State, where he had no running game, and an offensive line that was, you know, okay at best, he can do a lot of really, really special things. And he will have a lot of suitors across the country. And I think he's going to have, 
uh, dealer's choice in that sense. Um, and I think he's earned that. I think he's earned that. He was Washington State's entire offense, really, the last couple of years. They were never able to establish a run game, and he can make some really, really big-time special throws. I think he can fit in any conference, anywhere. I, I really, really do. I think he, he's got a mega talent, and if you give him you know, a great receiving core, he had a good receiving core with Washington State this year. If you give him you know, a defense that's more consistent, you give him a good offensive line, Like if you just give him a football team better than what Washington State had the last couple of years, which was you know, 12 and 13 total, yeah, I, I think that Cam Ward could could do quite a bit. The other name to watch for, now I got a YouTube comment about that. Nate Johnson at Utah, former four-star guy, did not show a lot of promise with the Utes. Wasn't given a great situation. You know, there's a quarterback battle. He was a second string. He was a third string kind of guy. To say that. You know, I'm not as high on his prospects as a quarterback. Um, I, I I think is putting it accurately. It's not that he isn't you know capable, but he he has even less development I think than Dante Moore, and I don't think he has as much talent as Dante Moore either. So I, I don't know exactly where he fits into the conversation, but he didn't show as much promise as Dante Moore did. Both were, you know, highly coveted recruits, Dante Moore much more so than, than Nate Johnson. I could see Johnson going to a lower tier power five. I could also see him going to a higher level G5. I, I, I could absolutely see that. I don't have a great sense on, you know, what the market is for him. I don't think he's a big name out there that, you know, a bunch of big time teams are going to go after. Could I see him, by the way, going to an Oregon State or Washington State? Yeah, if Aiden Childs transfers, yeah, I I could 100% see that. It, 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 is, it is certainly a realistic possibility. He wouldn't be moving too far. Uh, you know, he, he'd have, I think, a chance to start if Aiden Childs does leave Oregon State, and we don't know what's going to happen with that at this point in time. So a uh, lot, lot of interesting things there with, with regards to the quarterback carousel because it's – it is utter madness out there. <laughs> I mean, just utter ma- I mean, Riley Leonard's in the portal and DJ and Dante Moore, Nate Johnson, Cam Ward's got a bunch of offers, and we don't know who else is going to be in the portal in the coming weeks and months, but uh, we'll certainly be, be talking about that here on the show. Let's get to the Pac-12 championship game. And, you know, everybody, let's pour one out for the Pac-12. It is the final time that two Pac-12 teams under the banner of the Pac-12 our beloved conference of champions are going to take the field. It's Friday night, Allegiant Stadium. Oregon's about a nine and a half point favorite. I think that's a lot of points. And that line is reflective of two things. Number one, since they played in October, Oregon, by any objective measure, I'm going to try to hide my Oregon bias here, but I think Husky fans agree. Oregon's played much better football since then. Against common opponents, Oregon has been far more dominant, whether that's Washington State, Utah, Arizona State, or Oregon State. They've all played those teams. Oregon has had much bigger outcomes. I think that's why the line is so big, number one. Number two, Washington has just not quite had it, and specifically Michael Penix doesn't look the same. We don't know what it is. Sickness, cracked rib, injured this, injured – I don't know. Here's what I do know. Over the second half of the season, again, since that Oregon game, not the same guy. Now, if he's able to get himself healthy, yeah, I don't, I don't doubt he's going to have plenty of motivation going.
going into this game. And I think that it, it's honestly, I don't know if advantage is the right word. When, when you've beaten a team twice in a row and you can come in emotionally and legitimately pitch yourself to your team as Kalen DeBoer, as the underdog, as a, as a sizable underdog, Coaches are looking for motivational tactics all the time. That's a pretty darn good one. Say, hey, they don't believe in you. You've you've beaten this team twice, and they don't believe in you. It's not a terrible place for Washington to be in in that particular spot. Um, I, I think that is also the third thing. I guess I just came up with one. The line opened at 7.5, and, and it has moved out to 9.5 or even 10 in some places. I think that's reflective of the public's confidence in Oregon because of the results I was talking about and that everybody knows about at this point. So the question that I want to ask going into this game, I don't know that I have a great answer because I don't, I I think honestly, I always come on here and just give you my honest takes and opinions and whatnot. And I thank you very much for supporting the show. I do not know if there's more pressure on one team versus the other. Oregon is the favorite. Dan Lanning has never beaten Washington. It's a rivalry. That's a pretty good amount of pressure. I mean, if Oregon loses the game, you're favored by 10 points. Like, it's just a number that a sports book comes up with to try and make money. But guess what? It's part of the conversation and narrative surrounding programs, games, and matchups, and teams, and everything. And we're all aware of that. On the other hand, Washington is chasing a perfect season. Washington is chasing a 13-0 campaign and a chance to get into the playoff. And by the way, in the Pac-12 era, these are the only two teams that have ever made the college football playoff. One of them is going to make it in all likelihood. Washington, 100% guarantee. Oregon, I think about 85% chance to get in. That's just like my you know estimation of a percentage there if they beat the Huskies. One of Florida, if one of Florida State or, okay, we'll get to that in a sec. But so just looking at this pressure narrative, like, like, think about that. Washington has won, what is it, 18, 19 straight games. Washington has beaten Oregon two times in a row. Well, just got to do it again. Washington is the one who's putting a perfect regular season on the line. Washington's the one trying to show that they are worthy of the 12 and 0 record that many people think, ah, it's just not, you know, scraping by. They're not actually that good. And then on the flip side of things, Oregon's the team that recruits at a high level. Oregon has got a flashier, bigger brand than Washington does. Oregon has got a guy who can win the Heisman trophy. Washington no longer does. Michael Penix can't win the Heisman. I think it sucks for him, but the numbers over the last couple of weeks have not been good. It's going to be Bo Nix, most likely, if Oregon wins, though that's not a guarantee. And if Oregon loses, it'll be Jane Daniels. Those are your two Heisman Trophy candidates that can actually win. Penix should at least get an invite. Gosh, I hope he does. He's been fantastic, but he's not going to win, no matter what happens. So Heisman candidate, the recruiting factor, the fact that Oregon is 0-2 against Washington since Dan Lanning took over, like that's the one blemish on Lanning's resume right now. He, he's got the Oregon State thing out of the way. Trounced him last week in Eugene 31-7. to He doesn't have a win over Washington yet. And they have been close losses in which he has been criticized for fourth down decisions and a lack of execution 
and losing games that Oregon felt they should have won. And then the Ducks are, you know, nine and a half, ten point favorite. How do you how do you decide who's under more pressure? I I, I honestly don't know that you can. I think it's pretty balanced. I think both fan bases are excited but anxious and, and just you know a smidgen of nervous as well. I know that I as an Oregon fan certainly am. I've been nervous about the game all week. And Oregon's a big point spread, and you know a lot of Oregon fans are confident. I I think Oregon's going to win the game. My my score prediction there is thirty eight to twenty seven. I think Oregon wins. Do I think it's out of the realm of possibility or will I be shocked beyond belief if Washington wins? Not at all, because I've seen them do it time and time again. Washington just keeps winning, which would give them a spot in the college football playoff, which is kind of a train wreck right now. And really a traffic jam is the best way to describe everybody vying for the last year of the 14 playoff. So a couple of you have asked questions about this and, you know, the 14 format. I have been staunchly anti-college football playoff expansion. I have not to date wavered off of that position. Might I feel differently after this all plays out? I won't say it's impossible, but it's not as likely as you think it is. So what I would like to see happen for Georgia to beat Alabama. Auburn ruined this whole thing last week by not being able to get a stop on fourth and goal from the 31 because Alabama is now very much in play to make the 14 playoff. What I would like to see happen is for Georgia to win and make it, for Michigan to win and make it, for Florida State to lose, for Bama to lose, and for your 14 playoff to be Georgia, Michigan, the Pac-12 champion, and then Texas because Texas is going to annihilate Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is not actually any good. So I would like to see that happen, because what I feel the purpose of the four-team playoff is, is to determine a combination of the best and most deserving teams in college football. Yes, there's a subjective component to it. It's something that makes this sport unique. And by the way, once we get to a 12-team playoff, we're going to have these same discussions about spots 12, 11, and 10, and all the at-large bids, and who should get a buy, who shouldn't get a buy. We're going to have the same debates. It's just going to be an expanded playoff, which will devalue the regular season. I'm not going to get on board with that. I have long said that if you went to a 16 playoff, I won't advocate for it. I also won't push back against it. Anything beyond six, I'm staunchly against because of what it does to the regular season. Ohio State lost to Michigan. That serves as an elimination game for the second straight year, or at least it should. Didn't last year for Ohio State. It's going to this year. In a 12-team playoff, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. That game only matters to those fan bases. That's a very brief synopsis of why I'm opposed to a 12-team playoff. But here's the issue I have with the 14 format just this year, right? Not, not, not in general. I think the 14 format is great. But – if Florida State wins, they're going to be into the playoff, and they just shouldn't be. Because if they win, what are they going to win by? Two, three, five? They're not blowing out Louisville here. That, that's that, that's just not going to happen. That is not the same Florida State team. I would like to see Florida State. I, I, I By the way, heartbroken for Jordan Travis. It sucks. It sucks that that guy can't go play with his team. 
after watching them play Florida with their backup quarterback, it is clear they're not the same football team. They're not one of the four best teams. And frankly, I don't think they'd be one of the four most deserving ones because I've seen teams go down or lose their starting quarterback before and play well with their backup. They didn't play well with the backup quarterback. They look awful against a bad Florida team. So I, I do not want to see Florida State in the playoff, and I really hope Louisville just knocks them out of it altogether. If either, as it pertains to Oregon, if either Florida State or Alabama lose, Oregon is 100% win and in. Because Oregon's been ahead of Texas the entire time. A win over number three Washington is not going to be superseded by a win over number 20 Oklahoma State. And if you take Alabama out of the equation and you lock in Michigan, who's going to win 27-0 in Georgia, if Florida State, even if Florida State were to win at that point, Oregon would get in over Texas. Some people might not like that, but that's clearly the way the committee views uh, the Ducks and the Longhorns at this point in the season. But uh, that's what uh, that, that's what I'd, I'd like to see happen here. Okay, bunch of mailbag questions from Tyler here to wrap up today's show. YouTube comments or Twitter always available. Spencer, what are your thoughts if Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State, Texas all lose their conference championship games? What happens if that happens? Um, I got I got news for you, Tyler. Uh, I'm always down to explore hypotheticals, but let's keep it within the realm of reason. So Georgia could lose, yes. Michigan will not lose that game. I, I promise you. Iowa's not going to score more than three points, and I don't think they're going to score that many. I think they're going to get shut out. So Michigan is going to win. Uh, if Georgia, Washington, Florida State, and Texas all lose their conference championship games, so that'd be Oregon winning. So Oregon would be in. Uh, again, I'm going to put Michigan in because Michigan is is getting in there. But if uh, Bama wins and Texas loses, then Bama gets in. And then you have a battle for the fourth spot. And the answer is that should be Washington. That should be Washington because they went through the deepest conference in the country at 12-0. and And they'd have a stronger resume than Ohio State. Texas wouldn't be able to hold a conference championship over them. Washington would have the better record than both Ohio State and I guess it would come down to a 12 and 1 Georgia and a 12 and 1 Washington. Mm, that's tough. But if Florida State were to lose, so so in this hypothetical, right? So Texas is out, Florida State is out with a loss. Georgia loses, so it'd be Michigan, Alabama, Oregon. And then who's going for the fourth spot? A 12 and one Georgia or a 12 and one Washington? Yeah, I think the answer should be Washington because I don't think Georgia's schedule is as strong as you know people typically think in the SEC. I don't know that the committee would view it that way. Tyler goes on to ask a question about you know uh, the, the college football playoff committee putting people in because of television ratings. I don't think so. I, I, I actually don't think that's in play. I think the college football playoff games can get big ratings no matter what, like they're always going to be big enough brands in there. If the ratings were a huge driving force, Oregon would not be ahead of Texas. They, they never would have been ahead of Texas in the rankings. So I, I'm not worried about that coming into play. I think SEC bias is a real thing, but I don't think it's television ratings driven in that they're just trying to create the best television product possible by putting certain teams in there. So I, I don't, uh, I, I don't have that concern going into the playoff here. Last one from Tyler to wrap up. Uh, I will have a reaction show after the Pac-12 championship tomorrow. 
Spencer, I have several questions for you. Oregon State and Washington State go go to for their TV deal for the 2024 season. Uh, do they go to ESPN, Fox, CW, Root Sports, Ion, or is there another channel? My second question, is NFL already played on Black Friday? Do you think that will hurt college football or not? Um, I mean, the NFL is a behemoth, but they have different fan bases. So uh, n- not really, no. Um, I-, I think college football's fan base is, is pretty well ingrained there. So that is a question that lies ahead for Oregon State and Washington State is, what do you do to broadcast your games? Like if you have, you know, five opponents or whatever that are in the Mountain West, five or six, the home games are supposed to be broadcast in accordance with the Mountain West media deal. I get that. But then what do you do for the games that are at Martin or Reese Stadium? I don't know if they could sell them like a la carte to a particular network, but it's pretty clear TV networks are not interested in showing Oregon State and Washington State. So it's up in the air, you know, a regional sports network like Root Sports. um, I I don't think that, I don't think that's an option there. And I don't think it's what you want. You want to be on national television as much as you can. If you're Oregon State and Washington State, I, I would look to a network like you know, the CW, they've picked up some games on uh, with, with the ACC or, you know, try to sell them just like as individual games to, you know, somebody like Ion or, uh, you know, somebody random like that or see if ESPN or Fox would would, would pick it up. You know, they, they've, they've got options in front of them. I don't know how the Pac-12 network uh, and the infrastructure there kind of plays into that, but I, I, I really think that it's a difficult spot to be in and, it's an unprecedented one because as an independent, I guess it's not totally unprecedented. I, I'd have to dive into that more. I, I think I will maybe on uh, on on a show next week, you know, about what independents have done. Because like Liberty, for instance, Liberty went like eleven and one or twelve and zero this year, and BYU was an BYU had independent had BYU TV, so that's a little bit different. But yeah, I'll I'll, I'll look into that more and get you a better answer on. Uh, um, on, on our show next week. Appreciate everyone listening. Enjoy the football. It's the last time we get to see it. I'll see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.